Alright, well if you would, let's open up to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And this morning, we come to verse 11. As a reminder, we are continuing to learn from God through the Apostle Paul the answer to a question. And that question is, how now shall we live? Having been saved by the blood of Jesus, <coughs> rescued from an eternity in hell, having been adopted by God, and set on the shore road to heaven, how now shall we live? And Paul has given us some broad principles we're to live a life of worship to God by giving Him our bodies, our whole selves, as living sacrifices. We are to live this short time that we have in this world before we go to heaven for His honor and for His name. Paul then took us in the direction of life together in a local church. A life that honors God, a life lived as a living sacrifice to Jesus, is a life lived in the service of other believers. God's family is a family of brothers and sisters who serve each other, care for each other, follow Christ together. We are each instruments in the hands of God. God blesses his children through his children. He does his children good through the care and compassion and encouragement and the use of spiritual gifts exercised in a local body of believers. And so in verse 9, we saw the most important principle for how we should live as Christians in a local church. We are to love. We are to love one another with a genuine, sincere, God-given, supernatural kind of love. And then related to this, Paul continues to give us in rapid-fire succession one command after another command after another command to help us live a life of worship, to help us live a life of love in the context of our church family. And so this morning we come to verse 11, and there are three commands here, and they belong together, so we're going to take them together. Verse 11 says, Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. I've entitled this message, A Call to Christian Zeal. We'll be unpacking and applying this verse to our own hearts and to our own lives under several headings. And here's the first one. Zeal needed. Zeal needed. Let me start with a quote by Joel Beakey. He says, many churches today are looking less like armies engaged in war and more like people taking a nap. Who among us has not seen this decay? Who cannot see a difference between the ancient church and us? 
In former days, a fire burned within Christians, but our hearts seldom, if ever, burned within us. Formerly, Christians seemed driven by a holy passion, but now little seems to motivate us. Christians of old were at war with their sin and strove for holiness by heavenly strength, but we seem to tolerate sin rather easily and are satisfied to do the minimum of what God requires of us. Now, Herman, as we look at the global landscape, do we not see the need for zeal in the church of Christ? There are more than 7,000 people groups who are unreached, the gospel of Jesus. It's more than 3 billion people. It's more than 40% of Earth's population that does not have significant real access to the gospel. It's 40% of Earth's population living in blindness, sinning against God, dying, and going to hell. More than 150,000 people die every day, more than 6,000 every hour, roughly two people die every second, every second, Two more souls go either to heaven or to hell. And we've been given a commission. The church of Jesus Christ has a job to do. We have a message to take. And we know where the people are who don't have it. And yes, it can be hard, but Jesus promised he'd be with us. And he promised he would build his church. And yet, according to one missions organization, of the $6.7 trillion that evangelical Christians around the world take in each year, one-tenth of one percent finds its way to missions. And of that one-tenth of one percent, 87 percent goes to places where the gospel is already available And local churches are already planted and growing. To put it in perspective, more money is spent each year on Halloween costumes for pets than is spent on reaching the unreached peoples of the world. Estimates are that the Church of Christ has more than 3,000 times the resources needed And 9,000 times the manpower needed to get the gospel to every people group. And yet, each year, more money is embezzled or stolen within Christian organizations than actually gets to unreached peoples. Where is our zeal? Where is our burden for the lost? Where are the William Careys ready to part with every comfort in this life to go to India and preach the gospel? And where are the Andrew Fullers who are ready to work every day to make sure that the William Careys of the world have what they need? Consider the landscape of Christ Church here in America or even here in North Carolina. Where is the passion for evangelism? Where is the passion for reaching lost friends and lost neighbors? 
When was the last time you sat down with someone and just shared your testimony of what Jesus has done in your life? When's the last time you shared the gospel with someone? American Christians seem utterly lukewarm about holiness. Or to put it more bluntly, most Christians don't seem to care about being holy. If we sin, we say, oh, well, God will forgive me. Our thoughts of God are small. Our passion for God is weak. If we could get in a bus and tour Rocky Mountain this morning, I fear that to our great sadness, we would see that so many worship services are going on where people are just walking through the motions. There are a few churches where there is great emotion and great passion, and yet far too often there's no truth there, and so it's emotionalism. There are many more churches where people may be singing some of the greatest truths in the world, and they're talking about the gospel and they're preaching the gospel, but they're still just doing it going through the motions. The singing is languid. The people don't actually care about the truths that they're singing. How rare is that church where the worship is pure and the passion is real? How rare is that church where zeal for the things of God is pulsing through the hearts of the people as they worship? How many listen to the sermon while sitting on the edge of their seats, hungry for the word, earnest, eager to hear something more from God? And how many more just endure the sermon, hoping it might be a little shorter today so they can get to lunch? This is the Christian church in America, while at the same time the marriages are falling apart and children are no longer being trained in godliness or be receiving faithful discipline. The family is being undermined, not just outside of the church, but in the church. Sexuality is being undermined. Gender is being undermined. Truth is being undermined. Here in our own city, heroin continues to kill black and white, rich and poor. Addictions to alcohol, addictions to pornography, mindless entertainment touch every home on every block. We seem to get offended by absolutely everything except the things that actually ought to offend us. People get passionate about every possible political issue. They get passionate about sports. They get passionate about celebrities. They get passionate about the latest fad sweeping the land. Where is the passion for God? Especially when it's needed so badly. Where is the passion for the lost? Where is the passion for holiness? Never before in our nation's history has our culture so needed the light of biblical teaching. And never before has the church of Christ in America been so biblically illiterate and so complacent. Well, might Christ come to our land and say, as he did to the church in Laodicea, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. But because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. We desperately need a recovery of Christian zeal. 
That's our first heading. I think almost all of you would say, I agree. Amen. Okay. Zeal defined is our second heading. What is Christian zeal? Well, Beaky points this to John Reynolds, who defines Christian zeal as an earnest desire and concern for all things pertaining to the glory of God and the kingdom of our Lord Jesus among men. So an earnest desire and an earnest concern for all things pertaining to God and the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. The Puritan Samuel Ward put it this way. He said, in plain English, zeal is nothing but heat. It is a spiritual heat wrought in the heart of man by the Holy Spirit, improving the good affections of love, joy, hope, etc. for the best service and furtherance of God's glory. I actually really love that definition. Um, Yes, we're to be a people of love, but our love is not to be a cold love. It is not to be a dead love. It is not to be a love out of sheer duty, a love out of sheer obligation. No, our love is to be zealous. There's to be a heat to our love. Zeal is the heat of the Christian life, and it's to touch every aspect of what we do. And every Christian discipline and every act of obedience, the fulfilling of every calling that God has given to us, we are to move forward with zeal. There's to be a warmth, or better, there's to be a boiling of devotion to God in everything that we do. J.C. Ryle says it this way. He says, it is not enough to say that the zealous man is earnest, hearty, uncompromising, thoroughgoing, wholehearted, fervent in spirit. He only sees one thing. He cares for one thing. The zealous man lives for one thing. He is swallowed up in one thing. And that one thing is to please God. Ryle says whether he lives or whether he dies, whether he has health or whether he has sickness, whether he is rich or whether he is poor, whether he pleases man or whether he gives offense, whether he is thought wise or whether he is thought foolish, whether he gets blame or whether he gets praise, whether he gets honor or whether he gets shame, for all this, the zealous man cares nothing at all. He burns for one thing. And that one thing is to please God and to advance God's glory. If he is consumed in the very burning, he does not care. He is content. He feels like a lamp that is made to burn. If consumed in burning, he has but done the work for which God appointed him to do. Such a one will always find a sphere for his zeal. If he cannot preach and work and give money, then he will cry and he will sigh and he will pray. Yes, if he is only a pauper or if he is always on a perpetual bed of sickness, he will make the wheels of sin around him drive heavily by continually interceding against it. If he cannot be in the valley with Joshua fighting, then he will do the work of Moses, Aaron and Hur up on the hill. If he is cut off from working himself, he will give the Lord no rest till help is raised up from another quarter so that the work is done. 
Ryle says, this is what I mean when I speak of zeal in religion. Now, Herman, you see how our verse begins. Do not be slothful in zeal. Okay, so what is zeal? Zeal is Christian heat, Holy Spirit wrought heat, devotion, boiling for God in the heart. Third heading, zeal commanded. Zeal commanded. So zero in on our verse now. Do not be slothful in zeal. Don't you like that word slothful? Do you picture a sloth like I do? Maybe you've seen the Geico commercial where the people are playing Pictionary and the time is running out and the team has to hurry and they're trying to guess what's being drawn, but it's a sloth doing the drawing. And he's so slow. That's the thing about sloths. It takes them forever to do anything. Uh, The word translated zeal can mean something similar to diligence. So, for example, the New American Standard Version translates this command as don't lag behind in diligence. At least one truth that is clearly being taught here is that Christians are to be hard workers. We're to be a productive people. We're not to be the kind of people who have great ideas and talk a great deal but accomplish little. No, we're to put our hands to the plow. We're to work and we're to keep working We're to be diligent in our work. We're to give our all to our work. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In other words, everything that we do and everything we accomplish for the Lord will have lasting, eternal benefits. There are some people in our culture who work very, very hard, but they are working for that which is in vain. They are working night and day. They're workaholics. They stay up too late. They get up too early, and they're working all the time. And it's for those things that are not lasting. will have no eternal benefits. But we're called to be hard workers for Jesus. We are called to abound in the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord might be doing dishes for your family. It might be cleaning out the car. It might be finishing that project that your boss gave you at work. It might be visiting your neighbor. It might be preparing a Sunday school lesson. But if it is a calling that God has placed in your life and you're seeking to do it for his glory, you can be sure that it is meaningful and it will have lasting benefits. Doing the dishes can be meaningful. We are to be a people abounding in good works for God. Don't be a sloth. Be a cheetah. Be a cheetah for the Lord. Be bumblebees, right? Working all the time, busy as a bee. We are to be a productive, hardworking people. But that's not the only truth in our verse. The word that's translated zeal in the ESV is literally the Greek word spude. Everybody say spude. Spude. It's where we get our word speed. In Mark 6, Herod's daughter Salome dances for him. And he says, I'll give you anything you ask. And she goes off and she confers with her mother. 
Herodias, and we read this. Immediately she came in a hurry to the king and asked, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Well, in that verse, the phrase in a hurry, that's our word. That's this word zeal. She came with speed. Our verse is saying, do not be slothful in your speed. The idea here is one of passion. Do not be slothful in zeal. <coughs> Excuse me. The next command says, be fervent in spirit. So that really makes it all very clear. What Paul is ultimately getting at here is not just being a hard worker, but being a hard worker from the heart. The fervency, the earnestness, the eagerness, the zeal is to begin in our spirits. It's to be an inward zeal that shows itself in outward productivity. You remember how Jeremiah said that the word of God was like a fire shut up in his bones. Jeremiah said, I cannot help but preach. And we can imagine Jeremiah preaching quite passionately. But that passion came from in his heart. It came from his devotedness to God. Paul felt the same way. Paul said, woe to me if I preach not the gospel. For every Christian, there is to be a fire under our skin. For every Christian, there is to be a fervency, a zeal for God that energizes all that we do. Um, this past December, uh, R.C. Sproul, pastor, teacher, went to be with the Lord. And at his funeral, Dr. John MacArthur shared this story about R.C. Sproul. He said he was meeting in the late 1990s about a document that was put together to try and bring Roman Catholics and evangelicals together. And we can understand that. In the midst of a secular culture, wouldn't it be great when Catholics and gospel-believing Protestants can join hand-in-hand -hand to do things together? The problem was that this document was trying to bring them together theologically to try and say that Catholics and evangelicals really believe about the same thing on the main things. Well, the problem is, of course, that Roman Catholics and evangelicals do not believe the same things about the main thing. Um, if you remember, the Roman Catholic Church teaches uh, ever since the Council of Trent that whoever believes that salvation is by faith alone, the Council of Trent actually said, let him be accursed. The, technically, the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church is if you believe the, the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, you are condemned. And so here are the folks who are trying to kind of diminish that, trying to undermine that, and, and act like evangelicals and Roman Catholics believe the same thing. And listen to what MacArthur said happened. He said, during this controversy over evangelicals and Catholics together in the late 1990s, he said, I participated in a private summit meeting in Florida where R.C. Sproul, D. James Kennedy, John Ankerberg were there, uh, Chuck Colson, J.I. Packer, Bill Bright, to express our concerns about this document. He said, R.C. pointed out that the document's discussion of justification by faith omitted the all-important word, alone. This was and always has been the central point of disagreement between Roman Catholics and Protestants. By deliberately omitting the word alone and then acting as if it were a non-issue, 
The Protestants who helped draft the document were deliberately capitulating to the main Roman Catholic error and undermining the gospel itself. Now listen to what MacArthur says next. He says, at one point, R.C. became so passionate in making his argument that he literally climbed onto the table and he got on his hands and knees and made his plea from the tabletop until each person on the other side of the table had made direct eye contact with him. He says there wasn't a hint of malice in the gesture. Everyone in the room understood that. He said the passion that motivated R.C. was his love of the gospel and his zeal for making sure that the message was proclaimed without compromise or confusion. So here was a grown man wearing a coat and tie, as he always did, in a room with some of the leading Christian figures of his day, but his zeal for making sure that the gospel wasn't undermined caused him to get on top of a table in his hands and knees and make eye contact and say, don't you see the importance of saying salvation is by faith alone? We need more of that kind of zeal in American Christianity. We need more of that kind of passion, more men and women, teenagers and children. Gripped by their love for God, gripped by their commitment to God, gripped by their commitment to the gospel. Is that you this morning? How is your zeal for the Lord this morning? Earlier in our passage, we saw that some of these Roman Christians were apparently quite passionate about working for their own glory. Remember that? We talked about spiritual gifts. There were some in the church in Rome who apparently were quite zealous about trying to get the attention on them. But see what Paul was teaching us. See what God is teaching us. He says we are to be passionate about working hard for the name of Jesus. That's why the last command is serve the Lord. In Romans, the word Lord almost always, if not on every occasion, refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's, yes, work hard. Yes, be passionate. But be a passionate, hard worker, not for yourself. Be a passionate, hard worker for the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's keep these ideas together. A slave can be a hard worker without being passionate. He's working hard because he has to, not because he wants to. Meanwhile, somebody else can be full of passion, and yet their passion is unproductive. They never actually get anything done. They're full of zeal, but there's nothing to show for it. This verse brings all of that together. It says, be passionate producers. Be be productive and passionate. John Piper summarizes it this way. Do lots of work for Christ passionately. Work for Christ with feeling. Feel lots in doing. Be as pragmatic as a businessman and be as passionate as a poet. Don't say, I'm practical, not passionate. Aim to be more passionate. And don't say, I'm passionate, not practical. Aim to be more practical. Bring these things together. Let there be a boiling for Christ in your heart. And then bring that boiling for Christ to actual, lived, lived out obedience. So three questions for you to consider, just as we close. I'm just going to read them to you. First, is Christ the chief love of your life? 
Is Jesus everything to you? Second, could it be that you are passionate for Jesus, but unproductive? Could it be that your heart feels a lot for Jesus, but when you look at what you've actually sought to do for him, you see very little there? Or third, could it be that you've been quite productive for Jesus, but not passionate? You've done lots of good things in Jesus' name, but all the time the fires of love for Jesus have been burning low in your heart. You say, well, Justin, that's not a big deal. At least I got a lot of good things done. That's true. But Jesus is more greatly glorified and shown to be the great King and Savior when his people serve him out of their joy in his salvation. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy that we have in knowing Jesus and being his ought to show itself as we serve so that Christ gets all the glory. Samuel Davies uh, preached up in Virginia during colonial times. He said to know Christ and yet not be zealous for him is the most absurd and inconsistent thing imaginable. Jesus said he'd rather we be cold towards him than lukewarm. Just suppose, for example, that you had done some terrible things. And because of that, you're going to be rightly sentenced to an eternity of torture in a place called hell. And suppose that destiny of yours was fixed and there was absolutely nothing you could do about it. All you could do was dread the coming day. And the suffering would come upon you and it would begin and that suffering would never end. And now suppose that a man named Jesus Christ left the glories of paradise out of love for you. That he came to this wicked world. And suppose that for all the years of his life he was steadfastly devoted to doing whatever was necessary in order to save you from your punishment. Just suppose that his love for you was so great that his purpose of saving you was so constantly on his mind, he would allow nothing to keep him from fulfilling his mission. Suppose this Jesus had such a love for you that he patiently endured being betrayed and arrested, being placed on trial and mocked, being beaten and tortured for your sake. Suppose he experienced an agony unlike any that you could ever know. And suppose his love for you even caused him to be separated from his father. Forsaken by his father. Condemned by his father. How could we dare respond to that kind of love with lukewarm devotion? Should we get together and sing half-heartedly and go through motions and offer up lazy worship to this Jesus? Should we allow our hearts and minds to say, yeah, Jesus is great, but I really love this. Jesus is great, but that, that's really got my heart. That's what my life is about. After Jesus has done so much for us, what would it be for us to treat him as small? 
Do the demons in hell treat Jesus any worse than that? Suppose this Jesus now stands risen and exalted in heaven as your advocate, your mediator, your intercessor. Right now, Jesus has your best interest in his heart. He has chosen to bless you with an eternity in paradise. He has promised to give you all the grace you need every day to make sure you come securely to him. How do you respond to that Jesus? He was not lukewarm about rescuing us from hell. He pursued our salvation with full dedication, even while we were yet sinners. How do we respond to such a love as the love of Christ? No mother has ever loved her infant child with a love greater than this. No man has ever gone to such great lengths to rescue someone from so grave a danger. After all that, to be indifferent to Christ, to treat him as if he's only mildly important, as if he's deserving of only a little of our affection. Is that not the most unnatural, barbaric, ungrateful, the most shocking kind of wickedness that the world has ever seen? In Jesus, we have the greatest love the world has ever seen. In Jesus, we have the way. We have the truth. We have the life. He is the light in our darkness. He is the source of the happiness that we will experience for all eternity. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. The first and the last. The deliverer from our sin. Is it not right that Jesus should say to us, be hot or cold? Be for me or against me. Don't stand in the middle. Don't live this comfortable Christian life that says, yes, I follow Jesus, but there's nothing to show. I follow Jesus, but don't really mention him all that much. Love him or hate him, cherish him or despise him. Don't be indifferent towards him. What is your heart's attitude towards Christ this morning? Are you zealous for him? If not, we need to repent and we need to go to God and just confess, God, I am lukewarm in my heart. Will you stir up the fires of my heart? Go to Christ and say, Christ, my heart's in your hands. Fan the flames, Christ. Oh, Lord, would you cause me to burn for you? Oh, Lord, would you cause me to have this boiling devotion for you in my soul? And the next Sunday, we're going to come together and we're going to get really practical and talk about, okay, we want to be a zealous church. What are the means that God has given us to help make that happen? Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Let's pray.